shows are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Welcome to the Adventures in Tech podcast. Talking the latest tips and trends in educational technology to innovate and engage your students. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Dan. Welcome to episode 40 of the Adventures in Tech podcast. Hey there, Dan. Hey there, Andrew. You know what this week is? All the school districts are celebrating the 100th day of school, Dan. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> you know what grinds Dan's gears? No, I'm just kidding. And it's Valentine's Day. It's just a laundry list of things. Anyways, if you like the content, you like us, help us out by providing feedback and a rating wherever you download your podcast from. Greatly appreciate your support. All the news we know is ChatGPT. We're going to talk about that as well. Dan, is there anything you want to touch base on in classroom updates? No, I think uh, we should just get right into uh, going over a little bit of what's new in the weekly windup and then get to our guest. Awesome. Awesome. So the first thing I want to talk about in the weekly windup is Adobe uh, has now 15-minute vodcast series so starting uh, obviously in 2023 and they were just released so if you are a big adobe suite user uh, they have a new vodcast series from adobe for teachers we will link it to the show notes episode one is on infographics episode two on digital portfolios episode three short vi- uh, video stories episode four simple animation in any subject episode five photoshop tips for teachers and i'm sure they will definitely release more as it uh, as they come out follow them on on twitter uh as well this is from tim kitchen and it's just youtube.com forward slash adobe for education so definitely if you want to learn some uh quick pd let's say in in your pjs dan yeah uh, you know not gonna take 100 days for you uh definitely check out adobe in 15 minutes All right, moving right along, Dan. What do you got next? All right, so something up in the Google Workspace is now they're adding um, that you can include the captions with the Google Meet video recording. So that's a nice addition. So if you're using captions in Google Meet, now you have the option to include those captions in a meeting recording. So I like that idea. I Um, do. You know, looking at the blended learning environment and all the tools that are out there for you to use, you know, one thing that you can always consider is if you're recording an asynchronous lesson for students, you can record it in... Um, Google Meet and then have those captions put on there for, you know, for students that may need it or it might just be good in general to have that video file there. So that's pretty neat. I agree. And I think it'll be beneficial because we've seen so many of the caption things come up with Google Slides and everything mm-hmm. over the I years. I love the Google Slides. Yeah. So it's just captioning. It's definitely beneficial. Uh, It is a gradual rollout. It should uh, automatically, for 15 days, you could see it starting now. Uh, If you're a scheduled release, it'll start on March 1st, 2023. And, of course, it's available to Workspace Essentials, all business accounts, and obviously education and education uh, teaching and learning upgrade customers uh, as well. So uh, last thing we want to touch on in the weekly windup is something called Curapod. Yes, I'd like to thank our guests for introducing this to us. Yes. So Curapod, C-U-R-I-P-O-D.com, is basically (laughs) more AI. More AI. And it will create your slide deck or your PowerPoint within seconds. I've played around with it for a bit. It, you know, you put in some different topics, you can really narrow it down and it, and it creates a slide deck. Everything you create, it kind of creates it in the same sort of format, um, putting the information out there and it does add some interactivity into it as yep. well. So if you're looking for, I mean, I of course wouldn't rely on this for, for no. producing my entire lesson, but right. it, you know, if you're looking for that one starting place, I think a lot of the things we've been talking about with AI and GPT is having that starting place 
um, it, it's a good thing to check out. Yeah, and, you know, there's a free, there's a premium, and then obviously it goes up to school site and district licenses. Definitely play around with it. See if you like it. You get to have, uh, you know, it's free forever. You get five private Curapods uh, if it's something that you're interested in. And, again, it's just kind of like a skeleton to get you started just to check it out. And it's going to evolve as quickly as the whole chat GPT and AI conversation is happening. And then we were privy to some information the other day with the previews of Bing. Have mm-hmm. you seen that, Dan? I have. Right? Yeah. So the, the Bing one is pretty crazy as well for, for the AI. So uh, uh, Microsoft's version. Just one more thing on AI, just going back to our conversation that we had with Will Jackson and talking about Conquer. It seems that Conquer is now out. Yes. So you should definitely check that out, conquer.ai. Um, definitely a useful tool. Yeah, and Conquer is C-O-N-K-E-R. Uh, as well. All right. So our next guest is um, no stranger to the Adventures in Tech podcast. Uh, no stranger to Dan and I as we've become uh, good friends over the years. Uh, so without further ado, he's been presenting in many tech conferences and doing a lot on AI and chat GPT. We will be sure to include his presentation at one of his uh, most recent Uh, tech conferences that he did present on uh, AI and ChatGPT and how it evolves and uh, affects education. But without further ado, here's our good friend, Matt Miller. All right. So Dan and I are very fortunate once again to have not just someone we see in the Twitterverse, but our dear good friend, a big fan favorite of our school district, Matt Miller in the house today. Matt, how's it going? It's good. It's always a good time to get to talk to you guys. And we've got some some pretty hot topics to discuss today, which I'm very excited about. That's it. Matt, you have been all over at different tech conferences and everything. And, you know, seeing this and actually living and breathing it with educators, kind of like, you know, in the trenches right now, let's talk about chat GPT. What are your thoughts on chat GPT? Um, so I think we're all still trying to get our brains wrapped around what it is and what it can do. I mean, (laughs) I think all of us probably have, a lot of us have some sort of story of how we learned about this and what we learned that it would do. Like for me, uh, I very first found out about it at church during youth group when all of the kids came up to me and they were like, look, this cool app can write funny stories about whatever you ask it to. And so wow. to me, it was like the the funny story generator at first. And then I started looking at it. I'm like, whoa, this will do a whole lot more than that. And so I think the um, the initial response that a lot of teachers had to it when they found out about it. And, and honestly, I think there's a lot of teachers that still don't really know about it. I mean, it came out in the middle of the school year when teachers are already super busy and there's still a little bit of hangover from remote learning and COVID and everything like. Um, we're not looking for another disruption to the status quo, but here it is. Um, and I think the ones that, that did know about it are like, oh, this means that our students can go plug their homework assignments into it and it'll do a version of it. I think that's where everybody's mind kind of initially went at first. But the truth is, I think that this is sort of the ground floor. And it's not like AI just, you know, just came into existence because ChatGPT got released to the public. But that's when a lot of us started to really, really pay attention to it. And um, I really think this is sort of the beginning of a big shift in how we use AI and how it shows up in our lives. And it's I think it's going to start becoming more and more prevalent and it's going to kind of reset the status quo and reset 
what we do in our regular lives. And we're just sort of at the beginning of it. And so I think a lot of us are looking at it through today's eyes and saying, you know, this is, this is how it messes up the way that class looks today. But then we've got some people who are looking at it through tomorrow's eyes and they're saying, this is the direction that it's going. This is what kids are going to have to, you know, embrace and understand and be proficient with in their future. And then we're starting to try to figure out how to balance that out, you know, between I still have to teach class today without looking for reinventing what education looks like. Like I want to be able to go home and make dinner and be with my family. But also I know that all of this is coming. And so we're in this weird spot right now where we're trying to, you know, like, help kids to learn and become smarter and become better learners, but also with an eye on the future and going, how can we prepare them for this? I think it's a, it's a difficult balance right now. And it's, it's like buckle up and get ready for the ride because Mm -hmm. sure it's right. now. came out like the big thing. It it really caught traction in in December and everybody was still in holiday mode then. And now it's at the forefront because this is where we're really getting through all the nitty gritty of everything. We're halfway through the school year. And now it's like, okay, I need to get through the rest of this year. And then I have to try to figure out come September, what am I going to do? How am I going to address it? What's my classroom environment going to look like my assessments? And at the same time, we don't even know what chat GPT and all these other AI systems will look like in September by the time we get there. So yeah. I think yeah. uh, it's buckle up and get ready. And it's going to be a, a, a constant evolve and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of stay ahead of the curve. Yeah. And- yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, and as we, you know, it evolves, we, we need to keep the lines of communication open amongst um, our peers and our colleagues to continue to grow with it and see how we can then, you know, t- I don't want to say tailor our instruction, but look at instructional models and look, look what works best and how we can then, you know, make that transition to really seeing that, put, put, you know, at the forefront in our classroom instructional design to provide those students with opportunities for collaboration, for, for, for performance-based assessment, for authentic audiences and authentic assessments. And, you know, get back to the idea of teaching a process and learning through a process instead of like putting all of your eggs in one basket for a final assessment that's a written essay, where then you're, you're, you're setting yourself up to determining is this the full student voice or not. Yeah. Yeah. Dan, I'm so glad you brought that up. Like, I think that teachers helping fellow teachers will end up being the solution to this, you know, uh, cause what we, I can just see it coming like at the beginning, it's just like with any other technology, there are brand new users who are willing to jump in and start trying it and figure out what it's all about while everybody else is either busy doing their own thing or sticking their heads in the sand or are, you know, talking about how frustrated they are with it. There's this like beginning group of um, users that jump right on it and start trying things. And then they start sharing what they're finding, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then other people are like, oh, well, that makes sense. I could try that. And then we start, then the, the user base starts to grow a little bit. And as more people start using it, more trying, try other things. It's just like what you were saying, Dan, like we're going to lean on each other. The education community is incredible at this. Mm-hmm. We share everything because we want everybody to benefit from it. And we know that we're better together. And so everybody starts sharing more stuff. And then you start to get like this 
critical mass of people who are using it and you start to get some fundamental baseline, okay, here are some of the best practices. And then that starts to spread and disseminate out. And then the power users continue to use it and they continue to refine things and that spreads out. And it's almost like, you know, I kind of think of it like the tide. You know, the tide comes in and all ships go up because of the tide. Like, I think that everybody is going to rise and improve because everybody continues to, to share things around. And then, Dan, you also mentioned the process. Like, this is going to allow us to get back to the process, mm -hmm. just like you said. The thing is, is that education in some ways hasn't changed because we want to take kids from from where they are right now and we want to help them to level up. It's just what does leveling up look like? And then also for the longest time we've been able to look at where students are and what their ability level is and how they think and what their process looks like. We've been able to look at that through certain instruments that we've used to measure. And the standard essay has been one of those in a lot of classes for a long time. And so the goal doesn't really change. The goal is we want to see how kids think. We want to see evolution and improvement in their skills and their ability to think. Our instruments that we use to measure it might change, but our core fundamental goal, I don't think changes very mm -hmm. much. And so Dan, when you said something about process, that really resonated with me because the process is still the same. And we still want to see what kids' processes are to get to things. We just may need to change our measurement mm -hmm. instruments right. a little mm -hmm. bit. Right. And, you know, provide those benchmarks along the way, provide those opportunities to have discussions, you know, actually have that human voice to voice connection between student and teachers when they're engaging with each other, or engaging with their with their with their classmates and, and be able to capitalize that. And the, you look at all the different technology that's out there. It, we're really able to build powerful digital spaces that provide those opportunities. I mean, mm -hmm. just looking at ChatGPT, it's funny. You said you you learned about it from, uh, you know, telling funny stories. I was listening to a, a podcast. Of course, it was a running podcast. But mm -hmm. the host said, yeah, I heard this new thing, ChatGPT, and it can write rap songs in the style of anything you want. I'm like, that's cool. Let me go check that out. And then right. all of a sudden, my mind was blown. But I look at it as, you know, as in our position, when we're working with teachers to design spaces and design learning opportunities, ChatGPT for me has been a great asset. It's almost like having that research assistant right there by my side. If I'm looking for you know, different ways of demonstrating understanding or coming up with writing prompts or different things to put in a choice board, it gives me ideas that I, that I can look at and say, wow, I never thought about approaching it that way. I mean, I know it's just a bot, but it could, it was a great way to trigger my own thoughts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to have, I think it's going to have a lot of impacts on, on learn, on learning from students, but it's also going to have big impacts on teachers too. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, um, early, early on when I started kind of tweeting about this, this was how I made sense of it. And I processed it was, I started like throwing a bunch of stuff on Twitter and just seeing what people said. And I had this one dude come at me and he's like, cause I was saying, um, there's always somebody like lurking in the shadows someone. on Twitter ready yeah. to come at you. But that's um, Andrew's alternate ego out there. On oh, Twitter. come on. Not with Matt. Uh -uh. Just had to bust him on it. Right. <laughs> no. So 
it's this guy. And I was talking about how it could help teachers plan lessons. And this guy's like, I don't ever want my kids learning lessons that were created by an artificial intelligence. And I'm like, dude, first of all, it is clear that you have never been a teacher because teachers get ideas from all sorts of places. They don't just like sit at their desk and just like conjure everything out of their brains. Um, They get ideas from Pinterest and they get them from Google and they get them from Twitter and they get them from all these places. And, you know, Chat GPT is just gathering a bunch of stuff and processing it from all of those places. And right. secondly, we're not like mindless copy pasters that are going to go, oh, I found this lesson plan online. Let me just teach it exactly the way that it is without thinking about my own students. Like that's that's one of the things that's going to give teachers job security, too, is that we are the humans in the room that are able to you know, get to know our students, build relationships with them, understand how they learn and what's best for them, what their life is like and what interests them. And we can use all of that to tailor stuff. So I see it as if we can use tools like ChatGPT to take our planning time and shorten it. If it takes us 40 minutes to plan a certain lesson and we can get some of that baseline stuff from ChatGPT and then we take that and we go, this will work. This part won't, but I can adjust it. This part's okay, but mm-hmm. I'm going to add a couple things to it. This last part, I'm going to rework it a little bit, but it, it pretty much works. All of a sudden, that 40 minutes becomes 20 minutes, and teachers all of a sudden get the one resource that they're always telling me that they don't have enough of that would help them to do their job better. Time, right? right. All yeah. of a sudden, we're giving them time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it makes things definitely more efficient and effective to to a regard. And we're going to, you know, continue that conversation. And so, Matt, you you sent out a great uh, blog post. And, uh, you know, when we talk about this overall with the the, the blog post was entitled, which is a big concern of of teachers is, is this cheating? Defining cheating with AI and how how are we going to as educators rethink plagiarism and cheating? You know, like you put, how do we draw the line and what is it and what defines it? And how does AI kind of craft and change and evolve that definition? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a big question that we've got to ask ourselves. I mean, um, I, I keep hearing teachers say, I don't want kids to use this to cheat. Mm-hmm. And something just kind of like makes my skin crawl a little bit whenever I hear that. Cause it's like, it, it harkens back to the days where we would say, I don't want kids to look things up on Google search to cheat. Well, we still have some of that around today. Um, I don't want them to use calculators and math class to cheat. Well, the word cheating is so very subjective. You know, I mean, what, what, what goes to the line of cheating? I mean, cheating is basically doing something to complete your work that we don't want kids to do. But I think if we if we look at chat GPT and AI tools and all of that, I think, you know, we have to ask ourselves, what is cheating and what is helping? So, Andrew, you were talking probably about this gra- uh, this graphic that I created where, yep. you know, up at mm-hmm. the top of the graphic, it's like a it's like a spectrum. It's like arrows pointing up and down. Yep. And up at the top of the graphic is stuff created by artificial intelligence. I think I mm-hmm. called it bot created. Yep. And then at the bottom is human created. And on that spectrum from top to bottom are all different variations and versions of, um, you know, an example of how students can can do their work. And the hard part is, like Dan mentioned, like um, or maybe it was Dan, I don't know. 
one of you guys said <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have to draw a line and figure out what you're what you're okay with on this spectrum. And so, of course, at the top, which was artificial intelligence created, um, it was saying student took the assignment, um, asked ChatGPT to do it, copy and pasted the response, and submitted it to the teacher. Is that cheating? Well, I think all of us would say that that's not what we want because the student's brain isn't engaging. The student isn't growing through the activity. Okay, so we, I think we can say that that's not what we want. At the bottom, it's student did the entire assignment completely out of their own human brain without consulting the internet or artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Is that cheating? Well, no. But is that really relevant to what kids' lives are going to be when they graduate high school and they graduate college? Is that really going to be, and if they do their work that way, are they at a disadvantage? Because they don't know how to take advantage of those tools and use them to leverage their work. So if we, if we identify that neither one of those is in the best interest of students' future, then we start to move towards the middle where it gets messy and a little more gray. This is where the gray area starts to happen. So then from the um, artificial intelligence created version, it could say, you know, student um, generated a, a response from chat GPT, but read it themselves, edited it, adjusted it as necessary, and then turned it in. Is that cheating? That's a decision we're going to have to come up with, right? So then below that, it could be student-generated multiple versions of the same assignment, multiple responses, took the best parts, adjusted, edited as necessary, and turned it in. Is that cheating? And as a side note, isn't that a great writing activity for students who struggle with writing? Isn't yeah, that a revising. great scaffolding opportunity? It makes them the writer. It helps them to make decisions as writers, but they don't have to write every single word on their own. Like that, that's, that's some of the potential here, right? Then we get down to artificial intelligence um, gave the student idea. No, the student created like a list of bullet points of things that they wanted to include, but had chat GPT write the whole thing. Is that cheating? You know, we just keep working our way down. Right. Student got ideas from chat GPT, but then wrote the rest of the stuff on their own. And so the big question we keep asking ourselves on all of this is, at what point do we consider this cheating? But then we also have to ask ourselves questions like, which one of these is most relevant to our students' future? And not, it's like the today eyes through the tomorrow eyes, right? Right, right. And then the kicker, this is the question that, you know, whenever I've done this presentation, it's make people go, the, the the final question you got to ask yourself is, which of those is the kind of work that you would do in your work as an adult? And why wouldn't you hold students to the same standard? If that's the future of work, and actually that today's view, vision of work is not even the vision of the future of work. Right. So like- Th that spectrum right there just makes you realize there's all of this gray area and it's going to be hard to draw the line. And I would even argue that the line is going to shift as, you know, public perception about artificial intelligence continues to change over time. What do you guys think about all that? Yeah, I think the big thing, too, is we have to prepare these students, like you were saying, we, we always talk college career readiness and everything. Mm hmm. On a job interview, there is a good chance that an employer is going to say, how would you utilize AI and something similar as ChatGPT 
-hmm. in your daily job to help you become more productive. Because let's be honest, that's what employers are going to want. So Mm -hmm. if we kind of just block it or shut them all out, you know, what's going to happen is they're just going to not know, or they're going to find another avenue to, to, to utilize it for whatever purposes. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the gray area, you know, there's going to be bias and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but you know, everybody's going to have their own opinion and formulate what is cheating, what is not, what is plagiarizing, how, how is this resourceful in education for, you know, for my students, they're not demonstrating, like everybody's going to have their own opinion to form, you know, in regards to this. And I think from there, we have to, you know, kind of, there, there's just going to be, it's, it's like, we don't know what we don't know yet. We don't know where it's going to go. It's going to be behind a paywall, you know, and then you have an equity issue. There's going to be so many factors that, we just don't know. I read the article this morning that uh, the guy from Shark Tank is investing in it, Chat GPT. Uh, Mr. Wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. Kevin O'Leary. Uh-huh. So he, he wants to invest in it. He wants to be on the foreground with it, uh, in addition to Microsoft. So it's just going to continue to evolve. And we have to figure out, you know, think about the gray areas. I think the gray stuff's delicious, just like they say in Beauty and the Beast, right? The gray stuff's delicious. So how are students using those resources to produce something if they're able to actually do it, this is my opinion. I think that's a great tool for them to assist them to get to the product that they want to get to. You know, uh, you know, just to chime in and build uh, upon what how what you guys were both saying. When I first looked at your graphic um, that was posted out, and I looked at everything that was going there, um, the one thing it's going to take me back to what I said before. At each level, there's a process that goes into deciding on whether or not that's cheating or how to use it effective. So, you know, there's one thing, and and I've seen it in conversations, it may not have been outright said, but like from a teacher perspective or something, it's like, it's okay if I use it because I know how to use it correctly, or I know the questions, or I know the process to go and analyze it and and then use my prior knowledge in order to use what it has. Well, isn't that what we should be doing for our students regardless of chat GPT or not, is teaching students to be um, proficient in a process so they can determine an outcome that is most suitable for the audience that they're looking for. Um, so when we look at that middle, it's kind of that, that idea where, all right, and I think this idea has been coming and maybe chat GPT is disruptor. We need to come as teachers and realize that we are not, we are not the, 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 or nor should we be the sole providers of content like that long, that that day is long and gone, but how do we analyze? How do we use it? How do we look at bias? How do we determine a process? You know, they say maybe a threat to creative writing. But then again, you know, you can do so much with it hand in hand, maybe take something and enhance it with different language or turn what you had and see what it, it, it can come up with. There's so many opportunities to, to employ a process into AI to determine an outcome for an audience. So I think that's exciting. It's also scary in a lot of ways because, you know, I think we're all not sure how can we do it effectively? How can we really tailor instruction to meet these needs. And that's where I think the community comes in in an open conversation and dialogue because it's really going to have to come into setting up your your expectations and the design of your classroom in order to support the learning that's necessary for our students. So that's a little long winded, but I think it it keeps bringing me back to a process and understanding a process to apply to something to get an outcome for an audience. So it's really like you look at it and it's that it's that project-based learning, that student inquiry base that's driving that, you know, being able now to use so many different tools, including the AI, to 
to you know really reach the tenets of a UDL and provide multiple means of representation or, or engagement and and having it all together. So I think it's groundbreaking in a lot of ways and scary in a lot of ways as well. So I think when Andrew always says buckle up and enjoy the ride, like it's going to be it, it, it's going to be an exponential ride. I think people might still have their head in the sand about it, might not want to acknowledge it, but the bigger picture is that that future is going to come quicker than I think any of us expect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Dan, you keep saying apply a process to get an outcome for learning. I think I've heard mm -hmm. you say that like two or three times. It, it, and it finally, this last time, it finally like triggered so much so that I wanted to write it down. And isn't that really what we're doing? I mean, isn't that really what we should be doing in education? That's like mm -hmm. what it should all be about. What is the outcome that we want to get for kids. Well, we want them to be ready for whatever comes their way in the future and to be, you know, to be ready to adjust and evolve to that. And so what do you do? You apply a process to get that outcome. So really what I keep hearing you say, Dan, which I think is so smart and so right on is that we have to be mindful and intentional of building something that we want kids to achieve in the end. So it can't, I mean, if we just say, I don't like this, I don't want kids to use it, it's cheating, we're thinking about our own selves in the current moment. We got to build towards what is best for kids in the future instead of what we feel in the, in the current moment. And so even if that means that we have to wrestle with it right now, even if it means that we have to be wrong sometimes right now, even if we make mistakes, even if there are times when we don't feel like students are, you know, producing the kind of stuff that we like or getting the results that we want, what we're really doing is we're innovating and evolving to a new reality. And the problem is, is that nobody has the right answers to it yet. Nobody has perfect answers to it. So we're going to have to settle for imperfect answers for a little while, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So... Something I want to mention when we talk about this and, and we talked a little bit about, you know, um, plagiarism and so forth with your graphic, which we'll put in the show notes as well. Sure. Let's let's talk about like the ethical considerations surrounding the use of GPT technology and the language models in education, such as privacy and bias. What are your thoughts, Matt? Oh, man. Yeah, th this is something that. I just saw a, a dear friend of mine who was a state teacher of the year post something on Facebook. And he says, what I'm seeing an awful lot of right now is ways to use. Because, you know, I think that's as, as educators, that's one of the things we want to wrap our brains around first. And, you know, we're very practical and utilitarian in that way. And he says, what I'm not seeing a lot of are the exact things that you just mentioned, you know, the ethics of using it and the biases and, you know, the, the what's, what's being done with the data. I think there are a lot of questions that we've got to ask, you know, it starts at the very beginning, um, which is what is the algorithm or what, it, what is the model? What is the data set favor? What are its strengths, or its weaknesses? Because it's not great at everything. I mean, early, early use has already shown that it is really weak in math. I keep seeing all the teachers are like crowing all over social media. <laughs> Look guys, we've still got a job. It's not going to take our jobs. Look at how it does. The, the one that blows me away the most, there was a, um, somebody asked it, if it takes nine months 
for, you know, a baby to fully develop before birth, if you have nine mothers, how long does it take? And chat GPT is like, well, nine mothers, nine months, nine divided by nine, that's like a month each, right? Easy. No problem. I, I shared that with a group at FETC and someone was like, we wish <laughs> I'll take it in February, you take it in March, she'll take it in April. Eventually we'll cook this baby and we'll, we'll have it ready to go. Right. They were like, man, couldn't it just work out that way? That would be awesome. But clearly it has its deficiencies. Um, but like you said, there, there's even ethical issues that we have to figure out too. One of the big ones I keep asking about is what are our advantages as humans? You know, we've got to figure out, I don't know if that's an ethical thing. I may have jumped the gun a little bit on that one, but um, that, that is one of the things I think we have to figure out is um, what, what is it that we do that artificial intelligence doesn't do well or can't do at all? Um, another one, uh, my friend Ken Shelton brought this up, which I thought was really important. He was talking about how artificial intelligence works. And then he said, another question you have to ask is, who's defining the word intelligence? Mm. what are it's like because that's that's goals right dan you were just talking about that right mm -hmm. that's the, the end goal that's the outcome so who defines what intelligence is what is valued by the data set what is valued by the artificial intelligence um that's another thing we've got to figure out also you know who are is there representation in the people that are working on it you know what do mm -hmm. the people who are working on this project what do they look like? What are their backgrounds? You know, what, what are their values? What's important to them? Because we know as much as we try to remain partial or impartial, that stuff seeps into our work all the time. And so the decisions that are made and the decisions that are made within the, you know, the code and the programming and everything, that stuff starts to seep into it too. Um, there's even, you know, what about the, the data that we put in? Um, how, here's another one. Who's training the artificial intelligence? Because we know that it gets smarter the more that people use it. Well, what kind of people are training it and who is it learning from? See, there's all of these questions that we have to ask ourselves. And I don't think, you know, as the end users, because what that's all that we are really. I mean, all right. of us on this call and probably most everybody that's listening to this, we are all the end users. And so instead of being able to go in and fix that stuff, I think we have to be aware of it. And so as we teach students how to use this stuff, um, I think we have to encourage them to view the results that they get in light of all of those questions, even though we may not be the ones. And I mean, we can cause a stir on social media and we can, you know, we, we can raise our voices and stuff about some of those things to the decision makers. But ultimately, if we can't make change to the product ourselves, we have to create a good lens to view it through to be able to understand what some of that stuff is. I don't know. I went on and on about all this. What do you guys think? I agree. I think I, you're right. As the end user, we don't have a lot of say in how it evolves. It's just collecting our data mm -hmm. and to mm -hmm. make itself better. And then we go from there. So it's going to, we keep seeing they're on like version four of it or something, I think as right. well, with the most recent update being uh, January 30th. It's, and every time now the hard part is it's, it's obviously gaining a ton of traction. 
not only in the news, it passed what the Wharton School business exam, right, right with a B. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how it evolves. And it's it's we just don't know yet. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah. It's collecting this data. It's getting better. There's all. I mean, I think I've seen more ads on social media and promoted tweets about, hey, here's Jasper.ai, right? That yeah. can write posts and all these other. So mm-hmm. it's just the beginning. We're only at the very the, the stages of infancy with it. And I don't know where it's going. I don't think anyone knows where it's going to go. We just know it's not going away. That's right. what it really comes down to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we get, I think we're getting really deep on this right now, and this could, <laughs> this could go on for a while. But you know, again, I sound like a broken record, but everything you talked about, and look, it's media literacy, it's digital citizenship, it's mm-hmm. all those things that you know that should be part of instruction now on a regular basis. And it goes back to me, like there's a process for learning, there's a process for analysis, there's a process. Same thing as you're pulling up on a Google search, you still have those bias, you still don't know the authors, you have to. Re- read through multiple sources, you have to apply your own reasoning to it. So kind of sound like a broken record in it, but I mean, you know, I I think it comes down to that a lot uh, of going through and keeping it in the same lens. Because I mean, let's look at what the model is. Yes, it's gathering up right now. It's gathering, it's been loaded with years worth of information that it goes through and picks and chooses from. And then it's, you know, you have that language based model. So it's become really good at using human language to show you what a Google search could do. Um, and it is, it is, you know, we don't know like where that all that information is coming from. And like, as Matt was saying, like, how is it learning from the information and what kind of biases are from the people that are putting in the information? So we really have to just keep that in mind and not accept everything mm-hmm. it says. That's fact. the thing. I think that's the big um, thing. But, and that's one of the big lessons I think we've learned early on is that we can't just trust it in a copy and paste kind of fashion. Mm-hmm. The other thing that right. that does too, is it, and I, I uh, alluded to this a little bit earlier, um, that takes the human element out of things too, Right. which is, you right. know, everybody talks about, you know, our, is artificial intelligence going to take over the world or is it going to eliminate jobs or create obsolescence and stuff like that? Well, yes, but when we keep our human eyes and our human brains and our human touch um, and our human sensibilities and creativity involved in it, all of a sudden we make ourselves less and less obsolete. Um, we are doing the things that the artificial intelligence can't do. Now, granted, it's going to get better and better, but we still have to ask, you know, what is it that makes us human? What is it that makes uh, that sets us apart from artificial intelligence? Well, it's not about writing rap lyrics anymore, is it, Dan? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> or funny stories. Yeah. And it's not about writing funny stories anymore because now artificial intelligence can do those things. But you know what? I remember, you know, looking in the the movie Hidden Figures, you know, they were mm-hmm. dealing with this as well because you had all of the, you know, all of those um, women who were calculating things for NASA, they called them computers. That's what their their job title, what that's how they referred to themselves. We need right. more computers working on this. They weren't talking about, you know, they weren't talking about digital devices. They were talking about humans who would compute things. And of course, that became obsolete because technology could do it. Do we still have people employed at NASA, though? 
Yes, mm -hmm. because right. we need the vision and we need the ability to communicate and we need the ability to make all of the things work together. And we still, you know, there's still all of those things. It's not like NASA became irrelevant all of a sudden because there was a, a, a machine that could do calculations for them. And so that's one of the big things I think we need to continue to look at going forward is what makes us truly uniquely human and how can we leverage that and help students learn how to leverage that going forward. I don't remember what the original question was, but I just ran with that for a little bit. <laughs> you know, going off everything you're saying, but my mind is going in so many different directions. Right. And I look at some of the uh, of what you're saying about the human connection and you're like, what do we do better as humans? I, it's something that we could really talk about, but you know what we what we like humans as teachers what we do better is have the the ability to help facilitate learning with students at higher levels of thinking because isn't that where we all want to go move beyond those lower levels of blooms from remembering and understanding which ai is probably pretty good at right mm -hmm. to those upper levels of application and analysis so do we look at it through a lens of how do i use the ai or how do i use the the the, the various types of technology to create more of those human connection moments in my classroom on a regular basis? Do we look at all the opportunities that's out there in ed tech? We look at everything that you and have provided with Ditch That Textbook and everything and how you're working in personalized learning of how the technology can then create more opportunities for engagement on a human connection in the classroom. I think that's a big thing. I mean, just coming off the interview with Nate and breaking the blockbuster model, his whole idea of building your classroom environment in your digital space to support the learning that's happening in the right. physical space of your classroom or yeah. when they're out there on their own. So do, do we just say like, hey, these are now the avenues that we can use that we can work better in a human connection with our students face to face? Yeah. Is, this, is this a moment where, where our instruction can, can realize that more people can grasp it? I don't know. I'm just I'm off somewhere in some like deep way of thinking, but that's just my thoughts that came from the conversation. But I think you're right. You know, can, can it, right. you know, level up? Can it evolve? I think the answer is yes, because it's happened before. Mm -hmm. right? right. I mean, we get, I keep using, I know calculators in some way are a little bit of a forced analogy here, but it's an example of an innovation that changed things a little bit. And yeah. so do we need to f spend so much time working on, you know, simple calculations? Well, the answer is no. If that's the case, what do we have time to do now? Mm -hmm. And the answer is bigger. <laughs> the, the very, very vague answer is bigger, better stuff. Right. right? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I can't right. put my finger on exactly what that is, but if we're able to spin up essays on a moment's notice, then what can we do? We can become, you know, better. We, we can, we can process and understand writing on a deeper level because we can get more repetitions with it. And because we don't have to spend as much time doing some of the, you know, the base level stuff. Now we have time to get what we want and maybe analyze it a little better and improve on it. And, you know, like th those are the kinds of things I think eventually that AI is going to allow us to do just like lots of innovations before is that it gives us time to do things that matter to us. That's what right. it's going to give us in the end. Now, what is that going to look like in the end? I'm not sure, but I think that's one thing that it certainly does. Uh, oh, for sure. And we can start spinning, you know, talking about ways that like teachers can start using. Cause one thing you said in the beginning, Matt, and it echoed is teachers need more time, you know? So if yeah. we have more time, if we can remove some of the time constraints of constantly teaching 
content over process, then we have more opportunities for process. If we have more time to provide um, differentiation and accommodations for our students, because AI helps us out with that, then we create more time for that in our classroom. Like I just had a conversation with a social studies teacher this morning and she did a formative assessment on a topic that she looked at. She used Google Forms, she got the data right there to see where the students were at. I said, you know, it's really cool. We can see the topics that they're interested in. And I showed her conquer.ai, not sure yeah. if you're, and we put in the subject matters for reading comprehension into conquer.ai, it created five reading comprehension questions based on the topics where the students were struggling. And she was able to push that out directly through Google Forms to different groups of students that needed some reinforcement on different topics. Like she, we were able to do that in 10 minutes in the classroom. Right. Whereas, yeah, I mean, looking at these AI tools, conquer.ai is a great thing. I love the AI embedded in Canva. Um, it's my new favorite thing, especially the text to image. So long as teachers or students, you, you spend so much time looking for images to convey a thought or an idea. Now being able to come up with a thought and idea and the AI generates an image to support it. Well, that's a whole new level of students demonstrating their understanding because they're now putting into a concept into an image. So it's a time saver, but it's also goes to deeper, you know, you can see deeper analysis of a student of, of, a, of what they're trying to demonstrate their understanding of. So learning those things, it's amazing. I mean, maybe we can talk about other ways that maybe we have seen AI being employed like in its infancy in a way that really makes a change. Yeah. Can I piggyback on what you just said there, Dan? You were talking yeah. about the, the Canva um, taking text and generating images and everything. And it made me think, you know, I keep going back to the core foundational fundamentals of, you know, what it means to be human, what it means to be a teacher, what learning is and everything. And it makes me think, you know, I mean, that's an example of using AI to help with what we do. And so the question is, if Canva can save us time, by creating one of those images that's exactly what we want based on the text that we've put into it. What is it saving us from? It's saving us from Googling. It's mm -hmm. saving us from searching through a stock photo site. It's saving us from, you know, looking through image searches and stuff. Is that fundamental to our job as teachers? Image searching? Spending five minutes to find one image. Is that fundamental to what we do? No. If somebody had handed us an image and said, here, this is the perfect image that you need. Now get about your work. Go, go do what, what is going to move the needle for students. Would that be harmful to students in any way? No, mm -hmm. of course it's not because it's going to free us up from doing the things that are mundane and pedestrian to doing the things that actually move the needle for students. That's some of the stuff that this is going to let us do. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, Something when we talk about this AI and, and how we all need more time as educators, I think anybody, in, you know, as humans, we need more time. Right. And this is going to allow us and whatever your job is, whatever your career is, it's going to give you that gift of time, which we often say some of our youngest learners need. Right. But we have to also understand is the AI is just going to all these companies like Moat with Conquer, right, like Canva. They're all going to incorporate. We know Google's coming out with Sparrow, right? So all of these AI tools are coming out and they're just going to flood everywhere. So ChatGPT is the first one. It's just going to continue to evolve 
and spread everywhere. It was like the same thing. First, it was only Alexa. Sorry, I said everybody's off, right? But now it's okay, Google. And you have, you know, and Siri on your home kits and everything. So it's just amazing with, we're not going to be able to stop. We're not going to be able to slow down. It's how do we mm-hmm. change, not just a, a, adopt the changes, accept change and evolve as educators in our practice, in our pedagogy and in our instructional methods to improve what we're all there for is making sure our students get the best education possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah. 100%. This was heavy. Another heavy, heavy, lift. heavy lift, but I, we, I, do. I, we do. And I, I'm glad we were able to get so deep in the conversation. So I know for Andrew and myself, we're just collating as much as we can um, on the topic and on the things, all the content you're putting out, all the things that mm-hmm. everyone's putting out um, and curating it in a way because we love wakelet yeah um, we interviewed we, we but, interviewed wakelet recently it was great they got some good things also out, wakelet's got a uh, panel discussion about this very topic that i'm going to be involved in in the coming weeks awesome. and stuff so keep an eye out for that as well but yeah i'm excited to see so many of the tools are you know being very proactive with all of this i mean right. not just like Microsoft and Google, you know, like, you know, that a lot of the, and then there are lots of other third party tools that are coming out. You just mentioned conquer. There's another one I found called Curapod that where you put in a, uh, and I just noticed both of the guys put their heads down to write it down. <laughs> and Cause that's what I've been doing too. I've got yeah. to see this in the podcast, but I'm showing them a great big page of notes I've been writing down, but Curapod is one where, um, you can put in a topic and it will spin up a slide deck for you. It's like an interactive slide deck a la Pear Deck and Nearpod where it will put a whole bunch of facts in. It'll put images in. It'll ask students questions. um, It'll gather word clouds. It'll have students respond on their own devices. Like it'll, it'll create one of those presentations in about 15 seconds. That's amazing. You can go in and edit it and it's, it's free as well. There's a, it's freemium anyway. Um, but right. yeah, all of the tool, it's just, it's just amazing. It's like everybody, it's kind of like the, the gold rush a little bit, right? Like everybody is in a rut. Everybody's trying to, you know, get a foothold in this and trying to figure it out and not, not necessarily trying to be the first, but trying to, you know, get out there. And I think in the end, students and classrooms will benefit. It's just, mm-hmm. there, there's a big land grab right now. For sure. And, you know, and I think that gets back to the point where as educators and as a community, whether it's in like our Twitter communities or all our PLNs, but it's in our school communities with teachers and with administrators, like conversation has to continue. There has to be open dialogue about instruction um, and what it should be looking like in the classroom um, and, and building that culture, um, you know, organically as we move forward with all the possibilities, as you were mentioning, where, where, you know, a big thing is a time saver. It is a time saver, a meaningful time saver to get to be able to do more important things that I think every teacher would love to do yeah. on a more regular basis. So we, maybe if we start, you know, climbing that mountain with that mindset or that view and see where that takes us into the, uh, it's just like, it's buckle up and enjoy the ride. As, and I mean, I look at, I always try to look at everything as opportunities. Like I teach pre-service teachers. Um, you know, I had my first class of the semester. I started a whole design. My first class, before I even talked to them, did a whole design thinking on the impact of J- GPT, chat GPT in education. 
where this where the the students had to go through and the first one i brought up chat gpt their faces were like pure fear like is he looking to bust me like is this you know or but it was very eye-opening to you know working with the pre-service teachers of what they thought about this moving forward so mm -hmm. conversations need to happen uh, about instruction and that's exciting yeah. to me yeah me too. yeah and two things i can say number one the ai could not take the notes that we all took on our own right and number two, I would love to see how AI and ChatGPT gets in on the game of Oregon Trail. Let's be honest, because I think that would be pretty mind blowing, right? <laughs> yep. Yes. Maybe I wouldn't die. Maybe my oxen wouldn't get hurt, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> or stolen. So, all right, Matt, we're going to wrap this up. As always, we're going to talk to you as we always do, you know, via text and and everything else when we need a good joke or a good laugh, and yep. and just to keep those conversations open. We know, can you just remind everybody where the listeners can find you online and, and, and learn about, you know, uh, your whole ditch philosophy and everything and grab your books. Yeah, absolutely. Um, probably the best place to go right now, if you're interested in learning more about all of this AI stuff, I have this mega post that we keep adding to on our website. The easiest place to find it is ditch.link slash AI. Ditch.link slash AI will take you there. And honestly, that takes you to the Ditch That Textbook website where you can find the books, where you can find the contact information and the places to find me online and everything. Um, but that's probably, that's that's the one I'll go with today. I love it. Not getting yeah, that stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, you can always go to getmattstuff.com. Yeah, if you want, you know, lots of good teaching resources to help you plan your lessons. That's awesome. Matt, thank you again. Thank you. always, we appreciate it. This was a great conversation. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We will be talking to you soon. Dan, it's so insightful just to have a conversation with Matt. It is. And, you know, I enjoy the time that we get to spend getting, I guess we got a little bit deep into this one, but it really was um, a great conversation. I just like to thank Matt again and also for Matt and everyone that he works, uh, you know, that he collaborates with. And, you know, he put a lot of good stuff out there at the conferences that he was at. And yep. of course he's sharing it through his blog, his website, his newsletter, you name it. Um, and really just keeping that conversation going and then crowdsourcing ideas and then helping everybody navigate um, the, the instructional space. So thanks, Matt. Yeah, exactly. And he continues to share everything. If you have not signed up for his stuff, make sure you do sign up for uh, his ditch newsletters. They have all kinds of goodies and resources with blog posts and so forth. And of course, we will continue to have these conversations with Matt and other educators as the chat GPT and Bing AI continues to affect education and educational issues and teaching as we move forward. But this is going to wrap up episode 40. Once again, thank you for all your support listening. We do appreciate that. If you have any questions, comments, uh, suggestions, reach out. Tech hard, work smart, live an adventure. Find Andrew on all socials at A Nicola Tech and Dan at WCSD Tech DR. <laughs>